the light of truth to us display and make us know and choose thy way. Plant holy fear in every heart that we from God may ne'er depart. Lead us to holiness the road which we must take to dwell with God. Lead us to Christ the living way nor let us from his pastures stray. God, that is our desire this morning, is to be led to your truth. Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that we could be encouraged and that we would be, and that we would commit to follow your word and your guiding. Lord, thank you for this time together as a brotherhood. I pray your blessing on this service. Be with John as he's at Cuba, leading out there in their ordination this weekend. Give him wisdom as he leads. Also pray that you would be with Lyle as he preaches up in Elkhart. Lord, bless the service there, and may you be honored and glorified through it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I was drawn to that last song as we sang it, and truly that, that is my prayer this morning as I preach is that I can draw our focus to God's Word, and that I point us to, to His Word where we find answers for everyday things that we face. Welcome and good morning. It's good to see each of you here. There are some visitors. Thank you for joining us in worship, and I just invite you to um, feel at home and to um, take part in the Sunday school classes also as you sit there. I mentioned last Sunday that I plan to begin a series on child training, and I'm going to preach the first message um, in that series this morning. And I had uh, mentioned last Sunday that I don't preach these messages because I have it all figured out, but it's more like I'm in the middle of it like many of you are, and I'm still learning. And even as I studied for this message, um, I was challenged and I was also um, just had to face some things as a father and as a parent that maybe I'm, or that I know that I'm lax in. And so I was also challenged. So uh, please hear my heart. That is my desire as I preach. These messages are a kind of a conglomerate, come from a conglomeration of books that I've studied, uh, that we've went through as a couple, that we've read, and some things, some of the books I'm, I'm just reading for the first time and I've found helpful, and I hope to at some point um, put some of those up here and actually make them available to you. Four of them that we'll mention are um, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Christian Family Living by John Koblenz, What the Bible Says About Child Training and Growing Kids God's Way. That is the curriculum that we use here at church in the child training class. And uh, Glendora and I, were, we sat in that class uh, two times. Uh, we told the class that we, must have, we think we failed it the first time because we sat in the second time and learned quite a bit more than we did the first time. And so you'll find that as your children grow and develop, um, you'll learn certain nuggets of truth will make more sense at certain periods in your child training. And so for us, when our children were young, we picked up on 
the things that applied to the younger ones. But the second time we went through it, our children were older and we grasped some new concepts. And then the last time through it, we, we um, taught the class and now our children are into the teens. And so there were certain things that uh, we just hadn't picked up in the first two times. So uh, we were, we continue to learn is what I'm trying to say. And I invite you to do that with me. That curriculum, I, I feel like, is excellent curriculum. It's a, a good combination of uh, practical, sound, doctrine, doctrinal teaching um, that pertains to connecting with your child's heart, but yet also disciplining and, and um, having high expe- expectations for your children. So I would encourage that. If you've not been through the class and it, and it is available, I would encourage you to go through it. This morning I'm going to start out giving a, I guess what I would say is a current state of the family. And this is my observation and maybe some of the readers, uh, some of the writers' observation of the books that I've been reading. And maybe this pertains more to general society as, as um, you think about it, but it may also, some of these things may apply to us um, as a church, as Christians, as Anabaptists. Where is our society, society today when it comes to child training? I believe that the family unit was God's idea. It was God's idea to bring a man and a woman together and out of that create a family. And in no way does it take children to complete a family unit. A family unit is complete with a father and a mother. Children only expand that unit. And often we get the idea that, well, we're, we're, a, we're two youth, youth that are now married and we're living together and it's once we have children that now we have a family. And I don't think that's a correct um, thought to have, but the idea of we are already a family when, we're, when, we're, when we make that commitment in marriage and we, we begin to develop that family. I think it's very important that as a, a new, newly married family that we begin to set uh, goals, that we begin to set, um, we begin to observe principles and, and we begin to, to set um, consistent things that we do in our home that will contribute to the basis of our child training in the future. And so for you who are young married and maybe don't have children, I would encourage you, start now. Develop good rhythms and, and, and good, um, good goals as a couple. As society has strayed from God's design, the family begins to fall apart and we have chaos, and that's very evident in the world around us. You know, many people have children, and few actually want the responsibility of training them because it's hard work. Quantity time in our families has been replaced with quality time, we say. We don't have a lot of time, but the time that we do have, we're going to make sure it's really good. And that has been a a change from our historical past. Children of young parents 
live in fear of those adolescent years that their children will face. And parents of adolescents warn them that just wait, your child is going to grow up. You think you have problems now? You wait until they grow up. And by the way, that is a non-biblical belief. Parents too often believe the concept that problems grow as children grow, as children grow. I'm going to read two verses in Proverbs chapter 23. Verse 24 and 25, it says, The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. Thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. It gives an idea that there's, there's rejoicing, that as children grow up, um, that it's a, it should be a joyful time. It should be an, an encouraging time. It gives no idea or no, it, it doesn't point to the fact that be warned as your children older, it's going to get worse. And I, I'm afraid too often the church, we buy into that belief. Back to the current state of the family, too often children are being left to raise themselves, even though there are parents in the home, because the parents don't take the responsibility to do it. Well, what has caused this? I believe there's been a cultural shift in the way that we view authority. And that shift, the history of that shift has affected our nation, has affected our society and how we look at authority. You see, the great-grandparents of today's children, and so that puts some of you in those shoes, the great-grandparents of today's children were raised with a, a pretty simple basis, and that is just do as I say, right? Is that, am I accurate by saying that? Were you raised where your, your parents said, just do as I say, listen, listen to what I'm saying? And that was often the mindset, and maybe not across the board, but often that was the mindset of raising children. And in the 60s and 80s, 60s to the 80s, there was a reaction to that authority. Several things that happened was that dad was no longer just accepted as the leader in the home. Things began to change in the workplaces where bosses used to be able to say, give clear direction for what they wanted and they would tell their employees what to do and their employees would do it. And suddenly that has switched to where we now offer incentives and we offer uh, rewards uh, when our employees reach certain goals. And now the employer is more in the back seat trying to uh, sometimes project vision and, and what he wants when his employees are, are questioning, are we going to buy into this program or not? And so there's been a shift of how we look at authority. And I believe that the outcome of this, sh of this shift is realize and has affected how today's grandparents now, that's the next generation, has raised their children. Some of these grandparents have done so, have raised their children with little training, 
but rather they use the same principle, as I mentioned, that is being used in the workplace of incentivizing and, and offering goals, offering rewards when goals are met. They encourage their children to listen. Often giving rewards for effort, actually, instead of actual accomplishment of what the goal was. So even though we didn't quite reach the goal, even though you didn't quite get the, the goal, they were rewarded for trying. And that brings us today's, to today's parents. And I, I want to say, I, I think this is more in our general society, but we may, we may find ourselves sometimes uh, seeing some of these things in our own lives. Today's parents are at times fearful of what might happen if they are the authority in their child's life. And they fear the results of being strong leaders with specific expectations. So parents are hesitant to articulate what they want, to teach from God's Word and say, this is the goal. This is where we're going. These are, expect these are our expectations. Instead, today's parents often wonder, will our children still, will they still like me? Can I still be their friend if I'm this authority in their life? And they start to question, well, Will it actually destroy my friendship with them? Will I never connect with them? Will, will there always be this, this parent-child relationship? And they push back at that because they want to have personal relationship with their children. And so there's that tension that they find themselves in. Now the question that they wonder is, if I discipline, will I create lasting emotional damage? And you great-grandparents, you grin a little bit and say, we made it. And we chuckle, but that is a question that is being raised in today's Anabaptist Bible schools, friends. There are a lot of students who are coming and saying, I was disciplined, and because of that, I have emotional damage. What are we teaching our children and how are we teaching them? Might be a more pertinent question to ask. These parents are also wondering, what if my expectations and what I require of my children aren't what they ultimately desire or want? What if I'm pushing something on them that isn't really them? And should I be doing that? Well, that brings us to observe the church or today's Anabaptist circles and, and probably more uh, what we see here in our congregation. And typically, the church in general, not just Anabaptist circles, but typically the church is probably 10 to 20 years behind the society around us. And so in some ways, we have, we have the benefit of being able to look at what's happening in society, and we should be able to make corrections. We should be learning from our history, 
and making good judgments and, and, and changing the way we do things, but we should also be able to look at society around us and say, well, that's not working. And this concept over here, this is, is um, an extension. It, it, is, it, is a, it, it falls in line with biblical teaching. And so we can take this and we can apply it. And so we have that advantage, but typically the church is probably 10 to 20 years behind society around us. <clears throat> there are two ways of child training that I'm going to uh, talk about, and one is the authoritarian style, and that is going back to the just-say-as-I-do style of teaching, and the church has, has used that principle of teaching children. Just do as I say. Just listen. Because I said so. Because I'm the dad. Because I'm... Because I'm the one in authority. That's what we, that's what we often point back to. And the, it, when we teach in that way, it creates an external submission in a child. And so things look relatively good for a period of time. And uh, people would observe our families and our children and say, well, they're doing quite well. But what happens is as that child grows older... They often react to that. You see, it's easier to control a child in that manner when they're young. And in all actuality, a young child needs to be taught to just listen. They need to be taught to do things just because it's the right thing to do. But it's easier to, but that needs to switch as they get older. And we need to change our style of teaching then. But it's actually easier to use that approach where just say as I do when they're young and as they're coming up through adolescence, our tendency is to continue to do that. Because it worked for young children, why wouldn't it work for the older children? So we continue to teach with that method. And, and we continue to tell our youth, just do it because I say. And eventually we get to the point where we say, just do it because the church says. And that's not healthy. There needs to be a change of teaching where we begin to teach our children the whys. And we begin to, to teach them at the heart level instead of just asking for certain actions and certain behaviors. Instead, as, we, as they reach the teen and adolescent years, we need to begin shepherding them. And shepherding takes lots of time. If you remember I said earlier that's a fault of our families is that we don't have a lot of time. We don't have quantity time. And so we say we have quality time. But shepherding a, a child, you can't do it with just quality time. It takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort. And we have to be intentional about it. It doesn't just happen. It takes a lot of time. You see, this approach of just do it no longer works because the culture around us doesn't respond to authority in that way either. And if you're an employer, you realize that. The just do it method is not very effective. So often what happens when children aren't, when they don't respond well to this authoritarian approach uh, parents become discouraged, and they say, well, I, I was trying to train, I was 
trying to teach and it didn't work. And so they, they switch methods. And instead, the ch- parents often turn to a permissive or I'll say uninvolved method. Well, I, I tried and it didn't work. And so I'm just going to let, they're going to have to figure it out. And I'm going to call that the permissive, uninvolved, um, children will be children method. Or sometimes we hear, well, they're just going to have to figure it out. Um, or sometimes we say, well, as long as they're not doing anything wrong, I'm just going to watch over them and let them take their own way. And, and if something, if I need to correct them, I will. It's, it's that attitude, that mentality. And when we parent out of that type of attitude, it leads to a very individualistic child. And that's what we have today is a self-taught generation who many of these children have grown up teaching themselves, had relative little um, interaction and counsel given from their parents, very little direction given in their lives. Mom and dad said, as long as you're not doing anything you shouldn't do, we're going to turn you loose. And these, chi- these children have now grown up. And they have a very individualistic concept of life. I've handled it so far. I think I can handle it from here. And they need little input from the authority figures in their lives. In fact, they tend to lack respect for authority. We didn't need mom and dad, and we did all right. With this, there is a lack of accountability and openness to learn from authority. You see, there's that attitude of, we raised ourselves, and we will continue to teach ourselves what we want, when we want, and how we want it. And I propose, and I, this is my own thought, but as I, as I studied this concept and as I thought of this, I'm not sure. To me, it starts making sense why we have so much coaching going on today. And don't get me wrong, I'm not here to say life coaching and business coaching and personal coaching is wrong. I'm not here to say that. But I found it interesting that in the five to ten years, there's an explosion of coaching. People have all kinds of life coaches. They have fitness coaches. They have business coaches. They have, you name it, they hire a coach. My personal feeling is that it's, it's a reaction. There's a reaction from the authority figures that God actually gave us in our lives, our parents, uh, church, brotherhood. And we've decided we don't need those. But we still want to learn, and we still want advice, and we want wisdom. And so where do we go to those? You see, when I go to my parents or to a brotherhood, there's expectations now that they have of me, and I can't just walk out. When I hire a coach, I pay him for his services, and as long as I'm getting results from what he's saying and I like what he's saying, I keep paying him. When I feel like I've learned enough or if I don't like what he says, I tell him, I don't think you're going the direction that I want, and so I hire somebody else that fits my needs now. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's this individualistic mindset 
that I think has developed. Because as parents, we haven't taught our children well and shepherded them. Hear me again. I'm not saying coaching is wrong. I think we're just starting to live out some things. We're starting to see some results from how the last generation raised their children. This morning I'd like to give you three keys to successful parenting. You know, what what you of parenting? What should it look like? Where do you go to learn? Turn with me into Psalm 127. I'm going to look at this chapter. This chapter speaks directly about family and children. And throughout these messages, I'm going to try to insert little nuggets for you. And one of the nuggets I'm going to insert here, as you notice, I don't have a PowerPoint this morning. And part of that was intentional. But I'm going to challenge you as parents to have a written word of God in your possession. And I know why we don't do it. I remember holding children on my lap in church, and it can be hard to hold a Bible and hold a child when they're wiggling around. And so it's easier to use my phone, and and no pages can get torn, and, and nothing can happen. But I challenge you, when you're sitting on your lazy boy on your liner mornings and you have your cup of coffee and you have your phone there and your child comes down getting ready to go to school, how do they know that you're having your devotions or you're watching a YouTube or you're, you're reading the news? How do they decipher between the two? Can they? Is there any value in having the written word of God that is clear to our children that Dad is having his devotion, devotions. Is there, I'm surprised at my own children sometimes that their lack of being able to find scripture references, just finding the book of the Bible. And my youngest is eight, and so I, I've, I've tried to work on that and, and help teach them. But why is that? It's because we have a concept of just typing something in and, and we get a response from it right away. We don't, it doesn't even give us that, that visual picture of where the books of the Bible are. And I don't know where Psalms and Proverbs are in the middle of the Bible versus Revelation is actually finishing it up. In Genesis, oh, that must be uh, probably right before Matthew, right? Because it was one of the first books. And I, and I missed the whole concept that, no, actually Genesis is where it starts. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is, is, have we lost something? And should we consider getting back to a paper Bible? And I understand our children, uh, maybe it's hard to do it when they're young. But there's something about teaching them to treat God's Word with respect. And yeah, if the pages get ripped, once your children grow up, buy a new Bible. I think it's still worth it. Turn with me to Psalm 127, beginning to read in verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. 
It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them, and they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. This whole psalm refers to family, refers to children, refers to how we, how we, uh, how we live out family life in our homes. And the first verse speaks directly to that, and it's, an, it's a um, comparison of building a house and a city, and it's comparing that to, to the family. So it says, it says, except the Lord build the house, and if you look up that word house in the Hebrew, it actually refer, has a referral to family. And so maybe we could, we could say, except the Lord build the family, they labor in vain that build it. And that is the first thing, uh, the first point that I want to make is that God must be the center of our home. He must be the center of our teaching. It's imperative that, that God is the central part of our child training program. And it's important that everything that we do is pointed back to what God says and to God's word. Because it says if he's not, they labor in vain that build it. See, there are so many other concepts that we can use. There's so much advice we can get. There's so podcasts that we can listen to and, and books that we can listen to and, and speakers and psychologists and you name it. Unless that points back to the Word of God, we're laboring in vain, friends. Unless there's a basis for the teaching, we labor in vain. <clears throat> God must be the center of our home and our child training. The city that he refers to, you know, the city was often re, was, was referred to as a safe place. When you lived inside the city, there were walls that were built around you, and it protected you. And I believe the protection around the home, the, the child training, the, the things that we set up to protect our children and to instruct them, need to be God-given and need to be God-directed, need to be God-focused. needs to point back to God. All of our teaching, <clears throat> all of our training needs to have God included. Needs to, he needs to be the center focus, and it should be clear in the minds of our children that that's what mom and dad are doing. That's what mom and dad are teaching me this and that and the other is because it's a principle of God. And they're under God's authority. And I want to be under their authority because they're under God's authority. And so because of that, <clears throat> that um, authority um, structure gives, gives reason and gives um, yes, reason to believe. Let's go to verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. You know, our efforts are in vain without God's involvement. 
But I think as we invest time in prayer for our families, as we invest time of, of uh, reading Scripture in our daily devotions, having devotions with our family, as we invest things like that, as we have our daily routines of our family include prayer and Bible reading and, and um, devotions and just and living lives that are constantly example of everything points back to God. Like it, it's so clear in the child's mind that, oh, the reason we're doing this is because we're God's children. And mom and dad are, are living a life of that. It becomes clear to a child why they do what they do. The concepts that are taught by their parents make sense because mom and dad are following something. It's not just what they say. It's not just how they feel one day or how they feel another day, and, and, and they're constantly changing their mind, but it points back to something solid, points back to a sure foundation. <clears throat> Too often our goal as parents is to control our children so that we can save our reputation. You know, I don't want to look bad. And trust me, it's going to happen. If you're a parent, you're going to be embarrassed at some point, right? We can all say that. And so it's okay. Even even to the best of our abilities, we can try to train, train our children. There are times they're, gonna, they're going to um, embarrass you. That's okay. We can learn from that, and we move on. But too often, that shouldn't be our goal, is to keep from getting embarrassed. Too often, our reason for training is um, the self-actualization of the child. What I mean by that is we're, we try to train them so that they can, they can figure out who they are. They can figure out what, what their giftings are. That's the whole purpose of our training is we're trying to figure out now what might they do well at. How can we make them be somebody? Oh, they're, they're good at business, so I'm going to send them to business school. And that becomes our central focus of our child training is to try to figure out what their max potential is instead of what does God really want from them? Has God given them giftings? What is God's intent for their lives? Have you asked God that for your children? God, what, what should our children be involved with? What should they be doing? How should we be leading them? Our child training often comes from a non-scriptural basis. And so we, when we hear the words uh, a scientific reason or there's a uh, psychologist that wrote this book, we perk up and say, oh, he's studied. He should know what he's talking about. And too often we follow their concepts. And often they're not Bible-based concepts. I think we can learn things from them, and I think there are times we can read what they have to say, and we, there are things that we can learn, and I don't think we should be too proud to learn from those things, but we need to be aware and be careful that that shouldn't be the primary basis of our teaching is, is a psychologist or, or anything that is not based on God's Word. <clears throat> Because this child-focused parenting has caused many children by ages 10 to 12 years old to actually leave the home in their mind. They leave the home 
And for the rest of their young adult lives, their parents are just providing a bed and breakfast for them. Because the children don't need their parents anymore. They've figured out that mom and dad aren't going to teach us. They're not, they're not an authority. And I actually don't need them. And they, they leave the home in their own mind. So the first thing is God must be the center of our home. The second thing is children are always a blessing, and we should look at them like that. Let's read verse 3 in Psalm 127. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know, children are a blessing from the Lord, and, and, and we need to keep that in mind. In the middle of child training, in the middle of, uh, if you have several uh, young children, maybe especially before uh, school age, it can become daunting. It can become, it can become tiring. And there are times that we just, we just want a break. We just want a vacation from parenting. There's, there's times we are just so done. And we sometimes lose the concept that they are a blessing. God designed marriage and he designed man in such a way that that children are a, a, a physical, tangible blessing of a marriage relationship. Genesis chapter 1, I'm going to read two verses. Verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so God blessed this union with children, and he, and he, said, he said, multiply and replenish the earth. And, and I think we should claim that blessing today, and we should constantly be reminded that our children are a blessing, and they're, they're, it takes work to raise children, but yet we should enjoy the blessings that they are. Too often children become a liability when their parents are trying to find their own personal fulfillment in life. You see, when mom and dad have a goal and they have a vision and they, they know where they want to be and in 20, 30 years we want to be at such and such a state with our finances and we want the business to be at this point and we want this and this and this. That way at whatever age we can retire and we can slow down and then suddenly children come along and they just they kind of get in the way of that whole plan because children take a lot of effort and it's it's hard to focus on this plan when I have children over here who are clamoring for my attention and needing instruction and so it's hard as a parent to go both of those directions Children too often in our society are seen as unwanted consequences of a marriage. And that is sad. That is so sad. That is, that is so against uh, what God designed the family to be and how, what God designed children and, and a, a family unit to be. Uh, it's, it's just, it is sad. Verse 4, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. You know, as children mature to youth, they become an extended family. And it gives a, a good analogy here in this scripture of a bow and an arrow. And those arrows are put in a bow and they're sent out to do a job. 
In the same way, our children should be arrows that affect people outside of our own sphere that I can't affect. Our children should be an extension of who we are. And in fact, they are without us even trying to teach them that. You see, they can be a positive extension. Or if we don't teach them, they're also a negative extension of our family. They are a result of what we have or have not taught them. And they will affect others around them. So if you want to affect people, train your children and send them out like an arrow. I like the picture here of, of just the that he gives. Let's read verse 5. It says, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. The idea that a lot of these arrows, a lot of these arrows that are sharp and that have been trained should be a good thing. It's a happy thing. It's, it's a man that is rich that has children who are well trained. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Well trained children will bring joy to their family and to their parents, to their younger siblings, to their older siblings. They're going to enjoy being together. They're going to enjoy being with them. And they're going to enjoy being with their parents when they've been trained properly. In verse 5, it talks about them. They shall not be ashamed. Children that are properly taught will not be ashamed of who they are in Christ. And they will engage the enemy at the gate, it says. And that is such a challenge to me. Such a challenge to have children who... It gives a picture of... I'm just imagining living inside of this city that he referred to in verse 1. And this family unit has, has worked together. These children have been trained. And now from their own home, maybe, these children can spot an enemy coming in the city gate. And they're aware of it. And they know how to deal with it. And they engage with it. They go, isn't that great? When we've taught our children, they can, they're aware of, of something that doesn't look right at the gate before it even comes in. And they say, Mom and Dad, is that right? Is that, should I be aware? Is that something I need to be aware of? They're ready to engage. Do our children spot the enemy? Do they know what the enemy is? Do they know how to engage with the enemy? How have I done? Do my children see the enemy at the gate before he gets in? So how do we train our children into these types of arrows? You know, the physical ability to have children does not equip us for child rearing. There is nothing that, that suddenly as you come home from the hospital with that little baby, all of a sudden you just really realize this is how you need to do it. Matter of fact, many of us, if you've experienced that, many of us come home and think, now what, right? Now what have we done? Um, and we wonder, how are we going to take care of this child? And so it automatically get downloaded, but it takes effort. It takes, there's, there's lots of learning that needs to go into <clears throat> raising children for God. And too often, if we don't put the effort into it, we resort to two types of child training. One is the trial and error. And so we think, well, we'll just, we'll kind of wing it and see what happens. And as we begin to go through life and, and we have uh, child number two comes along, and, and as a couple, we begin to discuss that, well, you know, we tried such and such with child number one. It didn't work too good, so let's, let's change it up a little bit. And so we try something different with 
you know, it's, it's a trial and error method. So we kind of, we, we take what didn't work the first time and we, we change it a little bit and we try it the second time. Try something different. Another thing we, that we often do is we, 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 we talk to our friends, right? And we ask them, so what did you do? What didn't work? And so we're, or, or maybe we observe, right, what didn't work in our, in our friend's uh, child training. And so we, we begin to look at what didn't work for them, and we say, well, we're not going to do that. You know, if we want to be successful in something, we're going to have to focus on what does work. We're going to have to determine what is there a basis that we start with? Is there, is there an absolute? And is there an end goal that I can realize and see before I start the training? If there's an end goal, it gives us clear direction. <clears throat> and that brings us to the third point. The first one was that God must be the center of our home. The second one, children are blessing. And the third one is being committed to train to God's standard. I'm going to read out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture of and admonition of the Lord. So he's giving instruction here in the first three verses to children. And I'm not sure um, where you draw the line on child training. At what point does that end? Uh, does it totally end? Or at what point do we start phasing it out? But I propose this morning that these first three verses are geared towards, I'm going to say, at least through the teenage years. And that is through 19, not 18. And I'm going to propose that verses 1 through 3 is speaking directly to children who are still under their parents' authority. And I feel like that is through 19. And so it's calling them. It says, it says, it calls them to obedience. It calls them to honor. And there is a progression as children get older that it does begin to switch. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying you need to treat your 18 and 19-year-old as your 6-year-old. There's a vast difference, and we'll talk about that in future messages. But as parents, I don't think we wash our hands at 16 and 17 and 18 years old. We are parents, and we are called to be an authority in their life. And we are called to give them input and to continue to shepherd them. And that begins to look different as they get older. And that is... Speaking directly, this morning I went on, I just, I looked up at what age is a parent not um, responsible for their child, and the accepted answer is 18, and I, I say with confidence that that is not scripturally true, and I think when child training is done well, a child won't resist that at that age. It looks different, so hear me out. I'm not saying what we treat our teenagers as young children. So these first three verses, if a child has been taught to respect authority, 
it will impact them as they read these verses. They will not react to it. This is not something that they have to do, but this is reassuring to them that my parents, my parents still care about me, that they want to give me input for my life. And there's also a blessing that's promised here. It says that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Youth, if you want to live long on the earth and be blessed, here's how to do it. A scriptural answer to good life and health. And then it goes to verse 4, and this is the one I want to focus on. It says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, you're to take the lead in this. In this child training, you're to be the one that's driving it. You're to be the one that's setting the goals along with your wife. Work together. It's not just what you think, but you're to lead out in that child training. Yes, you're gone often work, and, and your wife probably has many more hours with the children, but as fathers, we are called to lead our families and our children, and it's imperative that we do so. If you're not doing it, I encourage you to commit to doing it today. Step up to the plate. Fathers, take the lead. And then it says, how do we do that? How do we teach? By nurture and admonition of the Lord. You see, training to God's standard is the only way to raise godly children. And it's when, as fathers, when we fall back on, on God's... Um, when we use God's nurturing and the admonition of the Lord, when we use the principles that are in God's Word to teach our children, when that's the basis of what we're doing, if that's the basis for our goals, for our family, and for our own personal lives. And don't forget, we can't separate that. I can't have my own personal goal over here and then lead my family over. No, there's an ultimate goal at the top that we're striving for, and underneath that comes business and life and family. And all of that points to a central goal of serving God. It's important that, that God is that focus. <clears throat> you know, the child experts probably agree on one thing, and that is that there are no set patterns for training. That's the one thing they agree on. And if you do any type of, of online searching, they have all kinds of, there are so many different ideas and concepts of how to train children. There's the gentle training approach. There's the uh, authoritarian. There's so many different, and, and then they say, well, this concept is actually better than this one because. And so they don't agree. According to them, there is no set pattern. And if we follow their teaching, we as parents often, we come up with our own version of child training. If it's not biblical, we develop our own. And often that consists of behavior modification, like I mentioned earlier. We just try to get them to do something, and then we move to permissiveness, right? And then in all desperation, when none of that, when none of that works, and then now we, we decide, well, we probably need to discipline because we haven't tried that yet. And it's like it's, like it's a last, last resort when nothing else works, and then there's, we tack on the end discipline. Is there any basis for our child training? What do we look to? Do we trust God's word 
to lead us. You know, the need for godly child training is evident in our society. There's disrespect and lack of control in children and young people. There's an inability of parents to train their children into young adults who accept God and their parents' standards as their own. And as I wrote that, there's an inability of parents to train their children into young adults who accept God and their parents' standards as their own. And I've been influenced enough by our society that I just about had to think, well, is that even right to push my beliefs on them? And yes, it is. If, it's, if they are godly beliefs, it is right and it is good, it is proper for us as the authority and the, the leaders in our homes to teach truth and to treat if we're teaching godly principles. If we're not, then that's different. Children are growing up to be adults that don't have purpose in life. They don't know why they're here. They don't know where they're going. In fact, some, some of them don't even want to be here. It hasn't been a pleasant experience so far, and they don't enjoy it. You know, training our children as Christians to God's standards will affect our nation in a positive way. You want to affect the nation? You want to affect people around you? Train your children to godly standard, and they will be effective to those around them. There are promises in Scripture that point back to the fact that their children are a joy and they are a reward. There is a reward that we experience as parents when we teach well. Proverbs 10.1 says, The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son, maketh glad, a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. Proverbs 29.17, Correct thy son, and he shall give thee rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Proverbs 23, verse 24 and 25. The father of the righteous shall greatly rejoice, and he that begetteth a wise child shall have joy of him. The father, thy father and thy mother shall be glad, and she that bear thee shall rejoice. Proverbs 31, 28. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. There was a young mother who gave the story about having her first child. And as her friend came over to visit, they, um, this mother and, and her and mother and father, they had high expectations of, of teaching their daughter um, godly principles and raising her in a godly way. And they had their, their friends over, and um, they were looking at this cute baby lying there in the... In, um, the crib, and as they were looking at her, this, this mother's friend looked at her and looked at the baby and said, oh, she's so precious, but she said, just you wait. And this new mother, kind of with a question in her mind, thought, well, just wait, and so she assumed that, well, her friend is experienced, they have children, and so she assumed, well, they must know something that, that she doesn't, and so she laughed at it and tried to pretend that she understood what this experienced parents were trying to tell her, you know, they must know something that she had yet to learn. <clears throat> and then this mother says that she, 
we, she says we plugged in God's principles and we began to teach and we began to use godly ways to discipline and to, to shepherd our children instead of all the magazines and the, the things that all the experts had written of how to raise children. And she said, when our daughter began to crawl, we believed at that point that she was old enough to know no for her own protection and for the rest of the family's peace. And so they began to teach this, this daughter at the crawling stage what no means and, and what not to do and what not to play with. And then when her, her friend came over, and her friend was, was named the Just Waits friend because uh, she made the comment, just, just wait, right? And so her Just Waits friend came over, and uh, she made sure that she told her friend, she said, oh, babies have to have freedom to explore. She says you'll stifle her creativity by not letting her touch the things that she wants to. And this Just Wait friend just explained this very patiently to this new mother as her own child screamed throughout the house and tore all the knobs off the stereo. And yet this mother said, in, all, in spite of all this good advice from her friend, she said, we, we continued our own path of teaching biblical truth instead of listening to her just wait friend she said, we leaned on the verse in Proverbs 22 that says, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. And she said, at this child's first birthday, we met a close relative to the just waits. And they were the, oh, you're so lucky friends. She says, as our daughter began to show some of the traits that we've been trying to teach her, and she began to consistently show those, and she obeyed instantly, and she came and sat with us when we asked her to. She said, my relative, she sighed and she said, oh, you're so lucky. She said, my kids are so hyper, they could never sit like that. In the meantime, these relatives' creative two-year-old had already dismantled their home on several different occasions. This mother said, I was beginning to wonder if it was luck. Was I just oh so lucky to have a child that listened? Or did it have more to do with the long hours of cuddling and teaching and storytelling and singing and consistent loving discipline? said, when we tried to explain our family lifestyle to the oh-you're-so-luckies, they brushed it aside. You see, we learned that the oh-so-luckies don't like the promise that we reap what we do sow. They believe that parenting was basically the same. All parenting was basically the same and effective as long as everybody was happy. Oh, we never spanked, she explained. Experts are now saying that hitting children makes them violent. We use more intelligent ways to discipline our children. I glanced at her children screaming and throwing rocks at each other, and I agreed with her. We didn't want children to get any more violent. 
When my just-wait friend visited with her five-year-old, he began to throw, to throw toys at the furniture and screamed insults at his mother, who finally banned him to the other room with him shouting back, Mom, I hate you! She looked inside. Oh, just you wait. My daughter sat wide-eyed. She couldn't believe that her friend was able to, allowed to act like this. And I began to wonder, is my child going to go, going to go through the same thing? Is, he also going, is she also going to face that phase? But suddenly I knew the answer, she said. No. Raising a child is not a shot in the dark. It's not a hope for the best. God does have a strict, clear plan to teach. The just waits will always be there with plenty of warnings and advice. Quite often we meet the, oh, you are so lucky, friends, when our children are obeying and we've taught them. She says, we smile and thank them for the compliment, and we continue our old-fashioned ways of teaching. And she says, actually, she said, I've joined the Just Wait Club. She said, now, when I go to visit a friend who has a newborn baby, she said, I look at that baby and I tell her, they're so much fun. But just you wait, it gets to be more fun. Our tendency is to always be to excuse the behavior. And I've been guilty of this also. It's easy to say, well, you just don't understand my child. You just don't understand their energy levels. You just don't understand what we're facing. And I begin to make excuses. And I challenge you as parents, don't make excuses, but make a commitment to train your children in God's way. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. Lord, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that it's clear and that it gives us direction. Lord, I pray that you would um, give us as fathers visions for our homes, for teaching our children. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to us first. Help us to lead. Lord, I pray that as families, as couples, that we would make a commitment to teach and train our children to your standards. Lord, may you be honored and glorified through our families. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.